0: Thanks, Maddie. Good. How are you doing? You okay? Good. God's good, isn't he? He's very good. Did you know that God's grace is without limit tonight? Do you know that? Do you know that we won't ever exhaust God's mercy? It says in the Bible that God's mercies are new every day. These are phrases that we throw out so often, you can sometimes just forget how incredible that is. We will never exhaust or run dry God's grace his love, and his mercy on your life. That's God's promise for us. That's so good. So very good. Okay, tonight I'm going to be talking about that very thing, that grace without limits. Grace without limits. And we're in our Acts of Courage series. If you've got your Bible, why don't you turn to Acts chapter 10. And just while you're finding that, I want to start by asking you a quick question. Has there ever been a time for you that you've maybe been uh, excluded from, I don't know, an event like a wedding or a party or something like that, that you know all your friends got invited, but you seem a bit left out. Anyone, anyone relate to that at all? Kind of a, an opportunity where everyone seems to go to a party and you're left at home thinking, man, I never got the invite. There's a time quite recently where... Uh, A friend of mine, there was an occasion like this, and um, one of my friends, I knew that all my friends were there, and one of my friends, after the event, was saying how great it was. Oh, Alice, you just missed such an excellent party. It was fabulous. You should have been there. I should have been there. I felt like... And uh, I don't know, do you you, you know what I mean when you feel excluded or when there's something where you're not involved? And uh, I remember for me and Lou, when we were planning our wedding, We had uh, our reception, and we knew that we only had 60 or 70 places. That's all we could fit in for the meal. And it was like, man, how do we choose? How do we choose who to invite and who not to invite? How how do we Is is it just like Auntie Audrey, although we haven't seen her for 10 years? We'll have her over. So it was just that kind of thing. Who gets the invite and who doesn't get the invite? In the end, we just picked the people that were going to give us the biggest presents or the most money. It was easy, right? But no, who gets the invite? Now, I asked that because of this. Reading the Old Testament can sometimes lead people to think that God is only interested in particular people. Now, I read a blog article just a few weeks ago, and the title was God and His Favourites. It's almost as though when we come to grace and mercy, it's almost like not everyone gets an invite. It's almost as though not everyone gets included. There's limitations to what is going on and who's getting involved in the Old Testament. It's almost like there are limitations to God's grace. And today I just want to unpack a little bit how God's grace is without limit and it is available for us today. That's what I want to talk about tonight. Because you see from, we see from Scripture that God has always wanted to dwell with his people. He's always had an intention to spend time with you. Do you know that God actually likes you? Do you know that? You know, we talk about love. Do you know God actually loves you? It says that it pleased God to make you. And he, ta- he takes delight in spending time with you. He delights over you. From the very beginning, God's eye was fixed on providing a means of salvation so that all of us can come without limitation and experience something of his wonderful grace. The whole Bible is a book about rescue. It all points to Jesus. And he wanted to make his kingdom available to you and me. It says in the Bible about the gospel, it says about salvation story, almost like yeast in dough. And it starts very small. And the gospel story starts actually with just one man, a guy called Abraham in the Old Testament. If you're sitting in the front row, I'm sorry, I'm just going to spit on you all night, but you chose to sit there, so that's fine. (laughs) But it starts with one guy, Abraham. And in Leviticus... Sorry, in Genesis 17, you can read this. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of a multitude of nations. I choose you, Abraham, to be the inlet and the outlet of my blessing to the nations. That's what God's promises from the very beginning. And this seemingly weak and uninspiring individual, if we're honest, if you read about Abraham, he makes some mistakes. He's a froul, he's an old man. And what he does, he takes with both hands, he grabs hold of that promise. And just like DNA, that promise, that inheritance that Abraham is given by God goes down his generation to generation, and it's passed on to the whole nation of Israel. So now the nation of Israel, the Jewish people are now holders of the promise of salvation. What started really small, just one man, is now actually millions of people in the nation of Israel. Okay, 12 tribes of Israel. God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. Now don't forget that God's eye is always on the nations. But what starts with one man journeys to one nation, but his eye is still on you and me. Exodus 19. Now therefore... If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my, I love this, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Talk about exclusivity. Talk about an upgrade and an invite. All the people, all the groups of the world, and I'm going to say, I'm going to choose you. And you're going to be my treasured possession. And you're going to be a demonstration to all of those groups out there that this is what life is like when you have the blessing of God on you. Wow. This is grace, growing grace. So the Jews become God's people. The Israelites inherit the kingdom promises of God. The Jews receive an invite to an eternal party. Wow. And what's interesting is the way that God doesn't try and hide it either. He doesn't say, here's an invite, just keep it a bit hush, because all the other people groups haven't got one. He doesn't say that. Actually, what what he wants to do is show it off to the whole world. Here is my treasured possession. He demonstrates it in front of the whole world. He wants people to know that he's chosen them. And you hear language like this, in Leviticus, Leviticus 20, set apart. So this is what he says. He says, I am the Lord your God who has set you apart from the nations. All right, so here's all the nations, but you have been set apart. It's almost like I've taken you, and you're now in a different position. You have been set apart. How about distinct? Exodus 8.23, I will make a distinction between my people and your people. God is saying, this nation, they're mine. The promise is for them. And Le- Leviticus 20.26, 20, you are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy. I have set you apart From the nations to be my own. Now, how does that happen, and what happens? Well, actually, God gives a whole number of different laws and different things that they do to make them distinct to everyone else. All right. So, there's lots of things that they do when they've got the inheritance and the promise of God. Actually, they live in a way which is different to everyone else. So, there's a load of things that they do. So, for example, he says, "Don't profane my name. Keep to the Sabbath. Don't eat particular meats." Don't marry women from other nations. Don't touch particular things or animals if they're unclean. Don't drink blood. Don't shave the sides of your beard. Stay out of the camp if it's your period. If you touch a dead thing, wash umpteen times. Sacrifice certain things at certain times in certain ways. Don't use yeast at particular festivals. And many, many more. Oh, and guys, for you, those foreskins, you won't need them anymore. Talk about a distinct lifestyle a people you have been set apart you will live and you will look different you will look distinct why because you have the inheritance you have a promise must have felt pretty special don't you think being a jew knowing that out of all the people groups you have inherited a promise must have felt pretty good i think must have felt pretty amazing and the jews all throughout history were very much set apart from the rest of society they took it very seriously they wouldn't have necessarily spent much time with Gentiles. Right? That's non-Jews. They wouldn't have spent much time with non-Jews. They wouldn't have sat down and had a meal. You wouldn't have gone out with lunch with a non-Jew. You certainly wouldn't have ever gone in their house. Gentiles weren't allowed in the inner courts of the temple. I don't think Gentiles would even be allowed to go in the synagogues and hear the Jewish teaching. All right? this, was a, this was a Jewish thing. And we find one such Jew in the passage that we're looking at today in Acts 10. And his name's a guy called Peter. So we've got to understand from Peter, when we're talking about Peter, these are the inheritance, these are the promises that he's got for himself because he's a Jew. Not because of anything he's done, but because he's been born into the inheritance of Abraham. He's a Jew. And he's a devout Jew and part of the Jewish promises of the Old Testament. And this guy, Peter, he was befriended by Jesus, who was also a Jew, and spent a number of years under his teaching and leadership. And when Jesus resurrected and went back to heaven, Peter establishes the early church in Jerusalem and Judea. So this is a Jew who's establishing the early church in Jerusalem. And there are still certain laws and behaviors that he still follows. There are still certain foods that he won't eat. There are still certain places he probably won't go and pray probably even people that he wouldn't speak to. Right, culturally, is a Jew, and he's still living a Jewish lifestyle. Up to now, Peter's efforts and what we've been looking for, this whole series in Acts, is almost exclusive, exclusively been to the Jews in Jerusalem and Judea, up to this point. And then we have our second character. Okay? So we've got Peter, who's a Jew, and then within this text, and you know what, it's such a long text, we're not going to read it all, I'm just going to tell it like a story. I'm a primary school teacher, so I'm enjoying this. So two characters. We've got Peter, who's a Jew, and then we've got a guy called Cornelius. Now, Cornelius is not a Jew. So all of those things that we know are the promises that Peter has. Cornelius doesn't have those. He's a Gentile. In fact, we know that he's a Roman centurion. That means that he's, he's a Roman soldier who's responsible for about 100 army fighting men, the Romans. All right, this is the same army that just years before have crucified Jesus and humiliated him in front of the city. This is, this is the guy that we're talking about. All right? He's just a Gentile. He hasn't inherited the promises. Now what we do know about Cornelius is this. He's not a Jew, but he's both a generous man, so he's very generous, and also he believes in God. It even says that he prays to God. So he's not someone who's inherited the promises, but he, it's almost like he has a monotheistic view. He believes that there's one God, and he spends time, and he prays to this one God. That's what we know. We don't know the extent of his knowledge about the Old Testament. We don't know whether he even went into the outer courts of the temple. We don't know all of that information. All we know is that his continuous prayer and his good works pleased God. All right? God can be pleased with a non-Jew. It pleased God. And so one day, and this is how the story goes, one day Cornelius, he's had a busy morning, he goes home and has some lunch, and in the afternoon, it's about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he does what he always does every day, he goes into his study to pray. So he closes the door, he puts a bit of reflective music on, And he starts praying to a God that he knows is there, but he's never really had a conversation with him. He doesn't really, he hasn't had any comeback. He just prays to a God that he knows, man, there must be a God. Until today, something's different. Suddenly he has a vision. The angel of God appears to him. Now remember, this is a fighting man. This is a guy who's got muscles like me, right? He's a scary guy. He's seen his fair share of blood and gruesome stuff. He trains killers for a living. It says that when the angel of God stood before him, he froze in fear. What is the angel of God going to say to this non Jew, this Gentile, this guy outside the place? What does he say? He says, God has seen your good works and he is pleased with you. Wow. And then he says, You know, there's this guy over here called Peter, and he's a Jew. And I want you to go and talk to him. In fact, send some of your people to go and get him and bring him back because he's got some news and you need to hear it. And that's what he does. He sends some guys. They're about a day journey away. So the following day, so next scene, here's Peter just a number of miles away on the following day. And he's doing a similar thing. He's on the roof of a house. And he's, it's, a, it's just before midday and he's really hungry. And while he's waiting for his lunch... He also has a vision. God also speaks to Peter. And the vision he has is this. He has a vision which is like a big sheet which is held up by the four corners. And as it's lowered down, Peter can see that there's lots of animals on this sheet. And animals that he would have called clean animals and unclean animals. Now I want you to understand what's happening here. I want you to understand that the Jews would not have associated with unclean animals. In fact, it would have been absolutely disgraceful for Peter to even think or comprehend about clean and unclean being together. And then God says something which is really interesting. He says, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. (sighs) What? Rise, Peter, kill, and eat. Now this might be a little bit hard for us to understand, but it's really significant. So I'll try my best to explain it. So what we've seen already is that he separates Abraham, and he calls a nation, the Jewish, the Israelite people, and he calls them and he sets them apart. And they do certain things to be distinct, including from refraining from eating unclean animals. When when he's told to eat the unclean, it is to say that there is no longer a distinction between Jew and the Gentile. Do you see that? What makes me distinct is the fact that I follow these things and I do these things. This is what makes me a distinct person from everyone else. Jesus says that is not the distinction anymore. He says, actually, the boundaries have changed. The distinction now is, do you call me as Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior? Have you been adopted into my family? And that is something not just for the Jew, but for the Gentile. Now, what, what does Peter say? What's his response? Well, you've got to remember that he's grown up, he has lived his whole life as a Jew, entrenched in all of this religion and all this culture and all this tradition. So understandably, he says, God, no, I I cannot eat that. I have never eaten that which is common or unclean, he says. Ever. And God's response to him is this. What God has made clean do not call common. What God has made clean, do not call common. You know, God's not primarily talking about food here. He's not talking primarily about food. He's challenging Peter's understanding of the gospel story. Remember what started as yeast in a batch that started small Abraham and has grown. Yes, Peter, you've been involved in this Jewish place, but something greater has just happened. You are now not just distinct because you're a Jew. You are distinct because you are a Christ follower and you are a son of the living God. Your distinction now is by whether you've been adopted as my son. Now, why is that hard for Peter to understand? Well, Phil Moore says this. I really like the way he puts it. He says, Satan's plan was simple. If you could not quench the forest fire of Christianity, he would at least try to limit its spread. So far, it was almost exclusively a Jewish phenomenon. And if he could keep it that way, then all might not be lost. If he could ring-fence the flames of the gospel, he might yet hold on to the souls of Gentiles who accounted for the vast majority of the world's population. In Peter, he hoped to find a perfect helper. In short, Peter was a typical first-century Jew, entrenched in tradition and suspicious of change. Left to his own devices, Peter's leadership would fall easy prey to Satan's plan to limit the gospel within the safe walls of Israel. Think about that. All he's ever known is the promise of God is for the Jews. God has broken in and said, that is not the distinction anymore. It's not that Jews aren't valued. It's not that they're not part of God's plan. It's that now it has grown from Abraham to the Jewish people to now anyone who calls on the name of God and says, you are my Lord and Savior. Wow. I want you to understand something. If you put yourself in this story, you are not Peter. You are Cornelius. You are someone who is outside of the promises. All right, so if you want to put yourself in this story, you are Cornelius And you are receiving a vision from God saying, go to speak to Peter because he has got good news for you. Let me tell you tonight, God has got good news for you. Cornelius, that's who we are. All Satan needs to do is use the early church's very own history of being God's people and set apart from the Gentiles to undermine the very power of the gospel and its impact on Samaria and the rest of the world. So God's response is, while God has made clean, do not call common. You need to understand what's going on at this moment because it's going to be the turning point of the gospel from just the Jews to the Gentiles. There's an explosion over these next few chapters where loads and loads of Gentiles receive Jesus. Peter says, no, Lord, they're unclean. God says there's no longer that distinction. Peter's thinking this gospel is the hope for the Jewish community. And God says, yes, that's right, but it's also the hope of the whole world. Remember what I said at the beginning, God's plan has always been for the nations. It's always been in God's heart is is the nations every tribe tongue and nation this is grace without limits wow grace without limits romans 9 says this verse 25 those who were not my people this is us those that were not my people i will call my people and her who was not beloved i will call beloved and in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. Whoa. You weren't a pe- we weren't a people. We were Cornelius. We were outside of the promises of God, but God has now included us in and says, you are now my very son, my daughter, and you I am well pleased. That's the promise. Wow got to understand that Cornelius, like us, had never been part of the inheritance of Abraham. He was excluded, he was outside, he was marginalized, yet God has broken him. And he said, no, there is now an expansion to my gospel, to my salvation message. It is not just for Abraham, it's not just for the Jews, it's for everyone, everyone who calls on my name. Jesus had not arrived just for the Jews. Jesus' eyes were not fixed solely on the Peters of the world. His eyes were fixed on the Cornelius' of this world too. So good. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs to that promise. That same promise that God gave to Abraham all those thousands of years ago, that is your promise. You will be my people under my rule and receive my blessing. That was God's promise to Abraham, that is God's promise to you tonight. This is grace without limits. And so Peter, hearing from God to go with them, he goes back to this place, Joppa, where Cornelius is. And he enters the house of a common Gentile to bring salvation and restoration, which before Christ would never have been possible. What's really fascinating is eight centuries ago in this same town, Joppa, do you know the story of Jonah? Jonah. Jonah gets on a boat and flees God's command to go and preach to the Gentiles. Just eight centuries later, God says, I've not forgotten the Gentiles. Peter goes in and many are saved. Wow. They get baptized in the Holy Spirit and they have a full and glorious conversion experience. Acts 10 verse 45 says this. And the believers from among the circumcised, that's the Jews who had come with Peter, they were amazed, because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Wow. And I, love, and I love what Peter says as well. Acts 10.34, if you go there, it says this. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. <laughs> That's good news. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Remember, a whole life of learning and understanding the promises of Israel for the Jews, Peter, in a moment with God, has a revelation that God shows no partiality, but that every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right, is acceptable to him. As if you remember, I think it was a couple of months ago, probably, when I preached, I showed the picture of the Amazon River. Some of you may have been here. You can look at the Amazon River and you see how amazingly big it is and vast it is. I think the flow from the river into the sea pushes fresh water out nearly 150 miles into the ocean. That's the amount of water. But you can trace the Amazon River all the way upstream to its source. I think it's called the Aparamic River or something like that. But what it starts with is something small. And that is the story of the gospel. God's always been thinking about the nations. When he died, do you know what? He had you in mind. What started with Abraham, which grew to a promise for a nation, is now for each and every one of us. Wow. So what does that mean for Cornelius? Or we'll put it this way, what does that mean for you and me? Well, let me just highlight four things, and this is good news. The first thing is this. Overcomes rebellion and brings conversion. Warren Wearsby says this, The miracle of divine election did not depend on anything that we are or that we have done. For God chose us in Christ before the foundations of the world. It says that in Ephesians 1, four, I think. If God saved a sinner on the basis of merit or works, nobody would be saved. It is all done through God's grace that it might all bring glory to God. So something for Cornelius now, which he could never say before, He says, now my rebellion has been turned, I'm now converted. Rebellion turns into conversion. Now that's a dramatic turnaround for him. And that's a dramatic turnaround for us. Second thing is this, overcomes condemnation and brings forgiveness. For years and years and years and years, sacrifices after sacrifices, and Jesus, the ultimate sacrifices, does away with your sin. And true forgiveness is available for you. Psalm 103 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove your sins from you. He's not going to bring them back on you. He's not in a later argument going to say, Oh, you always do this. You did that before. As far as the east is from the west, your sins have been removed from you. That's the promise of the gospel. The third thing is this. For Cornelius and us... It overcomes wrongdoings and brings righteousness. I think this is one that people struggle with most. I, I can believe that God's a forgiving God, but am I really, truly righteous? Like, when God looks at me, does he really see purity? And I hear some people say, you know, when God looks at you, he just sees Jesus. Can I just say, I just really struggle with that statement? I don't think that's even biblical. I don't think when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. I think he sees you, pure like Jesus. Stained in blood, now pure, washed white as snow. That's you, not Jesus. He was always white as snow. You are now washed white as snow. So when he looks, when God looks at you, you are now pure you are now righteous. 1 John 1 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when God looks at you, not only have you been converted, not only have you been forgiven, but you have been poured over with righteousness. God has poured righteousness over you. Jesus, who was righteous, took on our sins that we may become the righteousness of God. And last thing is this, overcomes, you know what, there's loads of things, I can go on all night, but I won't. Overcomes sadness and brings joy. Just imagine for a minute Cornelius, who all is, he's been faithful, he's prayed. I, I know there's a God there somewhere, I just don't really know if I've heard from him. Just imagine the emotion for a minute when he finds out that actually salvation is available for him. Grace without limits. Sometimes you just need to think about the emotion. Sadness, it brings joy. What joy would Cornelius have felt when he's getting powered and filled with the Holy Spirit and joy comes and they start rejoicing in God. John Wesley says this, I preached on the righteousness of the law and the righteousness of faith. While I was speaking, several dropped down as though dead, and among the rest such a cry was heard of sinners groaning for the righteousness of faith that it almost drowned my voice. But many of these soon lifted up their heads with joy and broke out into thanksgiving, being assured they now had the desire of their soul, the forgiveness of their sins. We have Cornelius who Christ saying, oh, woe for my sins, is now a rejoicing man saying, he is my saviour, my redeemer, and I am fully restored in him. What a turnaround. This is grace without limits. You guys look really happy about that. (laughs) It's good news, isn't it? Come on, why don't we stand? It would be good to have a bit of time to worship, and we're going to break bread as well. Let's just stand for a minute. Let me just ask you some questions. Yeah, bank can come out, it's fine. Do you rejoice in your salvation? Let me be honest, sometimes I'm so focused on my own issues, I forget the joy of salvation. I'll tell you what, on this day, Cornelius was aware of salvation, and he was aware of joy. Let me ask you a question, are you aware... Do you rejoice in your salvation? Do you understand that you were once cut off and have now been brought near? Wow. Do you understand the great cost for you to be brought into the family? Let me tell you, you have not been bought cheaply. You have not been purchased cheaply. You were purchased with the very blood of Christ. That's how much God values you. That's how much it pleased God to not only make you and make this world for you, but says, I delight in you and spending time with you. This is God who tabernacles with us, and that God is here with us right now. Let's pray. Lord, I, I thank you from this story that we can see that your gospel message is salvation. Although it started very small, your intention was always on us. Your intention was always for the nation's. And Lord, we say we choose tonight to rejoice in that salvation. We choose to say, Lord, we thank you that you paid the ultimate, ultimate cost. That, like Cornelius, whether we were searching or not, we can come in and say, it's not because I'm a Jew, it's not because I do certain things, but it's because of the blood of Christ that I'm now called home. I'm now, I'm now called home, called friends. Lord, that is so good. Why don't you just where you are? Why don't you just thank him for salvation? (laughs) I hope over the last half an hour, I've given you enough information for you to be able to enjoy and express thankfulness to God. So just start thanking God. Lord, thank you that I'm saved. Thank you, Lord, that even though I was far off, you've called me in there. Thank you, Jesus. Hmm, You're so good. Thank you, Lord, that we will never exhaust Your mercy. We will never come to an end of Your grace, but Your grace is completely unlimited. We're we gonna do. We're just gonna sing a couple of songs. We're gonna break bread. I'm sure Steve or Paul will come guide us in that in a minute. But let me just encourage you. Come on, let's just sing out a song to Him. Let's just give Him all our prayers and our worship. Amen.